if you'll turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, uh, I did not get a chance to look to see what page that was on in the Bibles in the pews, but 1 Thessalonians. We're going to read verse 1 right now, and then later we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of it. Uh, but verse 1 is as we begin a new series this morning. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, we ask this morning as we start into this series that you would be at work, that you would work um, through each of us. Lord, warm our hearts by your word. Help us to hear and to be attuned to what you have for us today. We pray this for your glory and for our good and joy. Amen. So as I said, this morning we start a new series through the wonderful little letter of 1 Thessalonians. And in some ways this this may feel like making new friends or or maybe uh, deepening a friendship that you already have. The words in this letter are written for us. They are for our instruction and encouragement. They are written so that we can know the Lord more deeply and ourselves more clearly. They are written to show us the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. They are words that are profitable for us, for correction, for teaching, for rebuke, for training to to live in righteousness so that we would be mature and equipped for every good work. Now, as we come to this letter, it is helpful for us to know a little bit about it, some of the, the background, what prompted the letter, who was the audience, and some similar questions. And that's what we're going to explore this morning as I introduce this letter But it won't just be an introduction. We are going to hear the entirety of the letter this morning. This has been our practice with texts that can be read in one sitting, um, because it's not very often that we sit and do that, that we sit and and hear or read God's word, one whole bit of his word in one sitting. But if we believe that God's word is a means of grace for us, There is not much more that we could do that could be more profitable than this. And when I use the term means of grace, some of you may not have heard that before. This is what I mean, that that as a means of grace, they're God's appointed instruments by which the Holy Spirit enables believers to receive Christ and the benefits of redemption. So God works through his word so that we can come to know Christ and know the benefits and blessings of his redemption. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful privilege that we have as believers. So then this morning, we're going to do a few things. We're going to look at some biblical historical background of the letter, some other introductory issues, as well as start into verse 1 of chapter 1. And my prayer and my desire is that as we do this, as, as, uh, that, that, that God's word would be clearly heard, and that God's spirit would work through the reading and hearing of his word today to conform us more and more to the likeness of his son and deepen our affection for him today. So we'll start with uh, what is termed prolegomena. And that is just a fancy word for prefatory remarks or an introduction. Okay? And thankfully, we don't have merely the letter to give us some background on this. We actually have the book of Acts. Uh, that provides some historical context. Now, Paul is on his second missionary journey. You can see this on the, the, the first map. Hopefully you can see some of it. You can see it starts off in Israel and moves up uh, through Asia Minor. And so when you see that red at the top, he is around Philippi, and then kind of in the middle is, 
is Thessalonica, and then it moves further west to Berea. Um, and, and we'll see that a little bit more clearly. But prior to coming to Thessalonica, Paul and his companions were in Philippi. And there, Paul and Silas were dragged before the magistrates and had their garments ripped and torn, were beaten with rods and thrown into prison where they found their feet placed in stocks. However, while in prison, they prayed and sang, and and lo and behold, an earthquake occurred. And they found that all the doors were opened and all the the bonds were burst and the jailer um, came to and he was probably about ready to kill himself. And they said, hey, whoa, none of us are gone. And this actually spared the jailer's life. And not only that, but the jailer said, what what must they do to be saved? Not only was his life spared, but he actually gained eternal life in the process. Well, then the magistrates of the city eventually came to Paul and Silas and and apologized to them um, for treating Roman citizens in the way that they had. Um, Paul kind of made sure that they would do that. But they also, maybe politely, maybe not so politely, said, please leave our city. Um, Please get out at this point in time. So they moved on, and they moved on to um, Thessalonica. And that's where we pick up in Acts 17. Acts 17. I'm going to read the first 10 verses of Acts 17. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and arise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So then what do we see here? We see Paul and his companions were in Thessalonica for three, maybe four weeks at most, if they showed up the day after the Sabbath. Uh, So that, that would have just given them at most a month, most likely around three weeks. And they ministered by reasoning from the scriptures that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, that he did suffer and rise from the dead. Some of the Jews were not all that happy about this um, presentation, so to speak, by Paul and Silas. And they were jealous and incited some wicked men of the city uh, to, to, to get the city into an uproar. And, and even though some of the Jews were persuaded, along with many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women, there was still trouble in the city. And it took basically a bribe, a, a mo- money, a monetary guarantee that was required for the safety of, of Jason and Paul and his companions, and, and also, in some sense, to say, they're not going to disturb the city anymore. They're, they're not going to disturb it anymore. And after that, Paul and Silas were pretty much immediately sent away. Possibly, they, they left on their own as well, just to protect the new converts in Thessalonica. 
Now, that's what happened in that brief amount of time. Now, what do we know about the city? Show, show another map here so you can see. Hopefully, you can see that a little bit better. Um, not really. Uh, but right under the E is Philippi. Okay, right under the E, there's a little black dot that says Philippi. Just down to the left is Thessalonica at that Peloponnesus area. And then further on is Berea. Uh, and so that's, that's the map. That's where it is. So Thessalonica was the principal metropolis of Macedonia. It was at the junction of the, the main land route from Italy, the, the Via Ignatia, and the main route from the Aegean to the Danube. It had the, and, and, and still does, has the best natural harbor in all of the Aegean. And so it was a very important city in that sense. It was also a free city. Um, so due to siding with Octavian during the, the Roman civil wars, it became a free city. And that meant that it had autonomy in local matters, was free from military occupation, and it was able to keep its citizens assembly, which if we go back to, to Acts 17, verse 5, where it talks about the crowd, that's probably in reference to the citizen assembly. So they were able to keep that. And then they were also able to keep um, the city officials. It was also, as were most cities, it was fairly pluralistic. Um, in excavations, various Greek, uh, Greco-Roman deities have been discovered along with Egyptian gods. So you had Greco-Roman, Egyptian, you had the imperial cult, so the cult of the Caesar, and you had a large Jewish synagogue all in the city. So it doesn't seem much different than our cities today, very pluralistic in nature. So as we go to the letter then, let's just answer a few important questions of it. Who wrote the letter? Paul. Okay. It says right at the beginning, Paul. Who was the, the audience? The audience was the church in Thessalonica, and it was predominantly a Gentile audience. Okay. You see that in Acts 17.4, but also in, in, chapter, uh, in verse 8 of chapter 1, where it talks about that they turned from idols to serving the living God. Now, that is going to be more in reference to Gentiles than to Jews, but there, was, there, there were Jews, obviously, within it. We see that in that. Um, now, when was this letter written? This letter is, is one of, if not, some, some people will actually say it's the earliest letter. Um, it's either Galatians or 1 Thessalonians. The earliest letters of Paul, and it was written around 49 or 50 AD. So we're within 20 years of the resurrection of Christ that this letter was written. Um, and it was written while Paul was still on his second missionary journey, if we would have gone back to that first map that you can't see anyways, um, but in that whole journey that he started off in Damascus and went all the way back and around, it was written on his first journey probably from his time in Corinth because he spent a good deal of time in the city of Corinth. So now what we're going to do is we're going to hear the letter. We're going to hear 1 Thessalonians. I think it's very profitable for us to do this. Um, hear these words that Paul wrote many years ago, but that are for us because they're, they're inspired by God. They're from the Spirit of God, and they're for us. So as I read, feel free to jot down things that stick out. Feel free to jot down things that you're like, ah, I don't know, or things that are repeated or just some themes, some ideas in the letter. As I do this, you know, you're not reading it on your own. You're just following along. Just feel free to, to jot down some things and maybe even think if you can come up with a purpose behind the letter. So here's God's word for us. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. 
We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. 
For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. 
We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The word of the Lord. So very briefly, let me just point out a few things that I think will be helpful in moving forward. And then we're just going to look at the first verse this morning. In general, I think the spark of this letter, kind of what drove this letter, was Paul's heart, was Paul's concern for this church, which developed very quickly. Again, he was only there three, maybe four weeks. It developed very quickly, but his heart was large at that point in time. And so even then being in that short period of time, he's concerned for their welfare because he knows the reception they had in Thessalonica. So he's concerned about their welfare at the place. And and we see that he's received this um, report from Timothy about the believers. So that further sparks the writing of this letter. So it's not only his heart, but that he's received the report because he sent Timothy to find out what was going on. Timothy comes back and says, so now he writes this letter. Now, there are a few specific reasons that I think we can deduce from the letter itself. Um, first, Paul was probably accused of, of wrong motives in, in some way. And so we see a defense early on. You see that as we read through that, a defense of his ministry, the style of his ministry, the tone of his ministry. Um, then second, I've already said this, he's concerned over their faith in the midst of persecution. They're undergoing and suffering the same sort of trials that they had undergone, so he's concerned about them. Third, he longs for them to live lives that are holy and glorifying to God. This is the will of God, your sanctification. He wants them to live lives pleasing to God. And fourth, we see him discuss then the implications of Christ's return. There is clearly some confusion about the nature of Christ's return, those who are dead in Christ, what happens, all this kind of stuff. And so he deals with that. And we're going to get into much more detail as we get into the letter, but that just kind of lays some groundwork for us. And overall, I think that that the controlling idea of this letter, and it's it's what I've titled the series, is a life pleasing to God. Paul desires for us as believers, for, for his readers, to live lives that please the Lord. You see that at the beginning where he talks about, we didn't do this to please men, but to please God. And he calls them to please God in in all things and their sanctification. So all of this, it's live in a way that is pleasing to God. So now let's look at verse 1. He writes, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now Paul identifies himself and Silvanus, which is um, probably a, a, more of a, a, a Roman name for Silas, maybe dealing uh, that kind of speaks to his uh, 
Roman citizenry, um, to, to use Silvanus, but it's Silas. It's the same thing. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Um, and this is one of the few times that Paul doesn't identify himself with another marker. In many other letters, you see Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, or Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And he doesn't do it here. We don't exactly know why. Maybe it wasn't questioned at all. He didn't feel like he needed to exert his authority in any way. But he doesn't identify himself in that way. Now, the whole way this letter begins, though, is very, very typical of the Jewish Hellenistic style of the first century. Uh, It's this kind of X to Y greetings. Okay, so from me to you, greetings of some sort. So it follows that same pattern. But just because it follows that pattern does not mean in any way that there's not significant truth in this first part of this letter, even in this first verse. So as as he identifies the recipients, there's actually much here that's comforting from the very beginning. It says, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This church is just a few months old. Okay, it is literally a few, it's, it's less than a year. It's a few months old. It's made up of people either converted from Judaism or from paganism. They turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Everything is new. They were only there for three to four weeks, yet he's confident that they're the church. That's pretty amazing. That's comforting. The, the, the prepositional phrase here is extremely important because the Greek word for church is ekklesia. You've probably heard that before as ekklesia, which simply means an assembly, a gathering of people. There were ecclesias everywhere. There was probably the Rotary Club in Thessalonica or the Lions Club or other things like that or, you know, the um, Gladiator Club. I don't know, but there were all kinds of gatherings or assemblies of people. But he says this is a, 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 an assembly that's different. What makes it different? It's a prepositional phrase. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that gathering of people, the assembly of the Thessalonians, but in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is speaking of union with Christ, that we're in union with him. Colossians 3.3 says, For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's a language of union. So what makes them distinct as a gathering of people as an assembly, is that it's, it's the relationship they have with God through Christ Jesus. This is the only way that there is a church in Thessalonica, is because of the work of Christ. The only way you and I can be the church is because of Christ. We are not simply a gathering of people. We would not sit here in a room that's 57 degrees on a Sunday morning for no other reason but because we're here to worship Christ. We're gathering, we are a gathering of people who are in Christ Jesus. That is why we come together. That is why people who are different, who come from different backgrounds and and, and, and different stories, we come together because of Christ. And I think he's encouraging these Thessalonians in that you are all together gathered in Christ. You're united in him. Now, another thing you see, though, here, 
that, that I think is easy for us to overlook because we're just maybe more used to it is the linkage of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is 20 years or so after the resurrection, and already it's very clear that the apostles had no doubt about the deity of Christ in his full deity. Christ is God. Very early in the life of the Christian church, that was clear. So this is just the the first sentence. This is a wonderful reassurance to them that they are formed as a body and secure in union with Christ the Lord. And that union then leads to something. It leads to the next words. Because they are the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. We hear those words so much, don't we? Don't we hear those so much? But how much they mean. This is not just a formula. This is not some rote statement that Paul's like, okay, got to get the grace and peace thing in there. He's writing it because he means it. It, it, It's meaningful. This is utterly significant. It is only in Christ that we receive grace. Grace. It is only in him that we receive grace, grace to know him, grace to grow, grace to live in freedom, and grace to have peace with God the Father. We live in peace because of the work of Christ who took the penalty that we deserve upon himself. We get what we don't deserve. That's the grace of God. We don't get eternal condemnation and separation from him for all eternity because Christ took that penalty for us. That's the grace that we receive. That's the peace that we have in Christ. We, we have the work of what Christ did on behalf of sinners. And you know, there's one other point that I had pointed out to me years ago. I don't remember who, who said this, but it, it's always caught my attention. As the very beginning here says, grace to you and peace. Look at verse 28 of chapter 5. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So Paul starts the letter with grace to you and peace. And then after, once this letter has been read to the congregation, it says grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Okay? There's a difference in preposition, right? So I think there's an aspect in which Paul consciously knew he's writing Scripture. He's writing a means of grace. He is writing that which the Spirit is working through him. And he knows that as they listen to this, the grace of God is coming to them. They are receiving the grace of God through this word of Scripture. And when they leave, they can now take it with them because they've heard it and they've received it. These very words are words of grace to God's people. So when you read the beginning, when we read the very beginning of it just a few minutes ago, grace to you and peace, and we leave, we go with the grace that we have received in his word. His word is living and active, and we receive his grace in that word. That is is a privilege. This This whole book is a precious jewel for the believer. Do we we believe that? Do we treat it as such? 
Because it's here that we know the the foundation, the, the source of all that the church is and can be. It is a blessing and a privilege to know these words. To be able to read them in a language that we understand. To come together in a gathering like this and and have them taught to us and to encourage and exhort one another in God's word, to read them together throughout this year as a church. What a blessing. So know that as we read his word, that is his means of grace to us, where we receive it and we rest in him, and we receive the benefits and blessings of redemption. So as we start this letter, I pray that as you read through it and and you study his word this week and prepare your hearts each week as, as we come before, that you understand that we come to receive the grace of God through his word, mediated by the Spirit, and and it points us to Christ Jesus, our Lord. What a blessing we have in this word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this word this morning. We thank you for the foundation upon which we rest. Lord, we ask that you would be at work in us. Lord, that you would guide and direct us that you would give us your wisdom and your truth. Help us to see the blessing that we have in your word. May we know your grace and peace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.